Rhodium Radio. No sad podcast. Rhodium Radio. No sad podcast. Yeah. Dr. Dre is in full effect, and I gotta tell y'all a little something. Easy E is down with us. MC Ring, you know he's down with us. DJ Yella is down with us. Arabian Prince, you know he's down with us. Tony A. The Wizard is down with us. JJ Fag is down with us. Timmy T, you know he's down with us. DJ Pooh Boy is down with us. Toddy P and Spade, they're down with us. My boy Ice Cube, you know he's down with us. I like to mention, so pay attention to where I'm from. Compton, but the tapes are from the rhodium. My name is Dre, listen while I play. And by the way, I'm also down with NWA. Yo, Steve at the rhodium is down with us. Slanging funky tapes, it is a must. We're number one. I know you guys are waiting. Episode 31, Rhodium Radio. Uh, before we get started and I introduce my special guest, once again, I'm running out of these. So if you guys want uh, the CD copies of 86 in the Mix, 24-7, uh, High C, and 88 Booming Bass, uh, get it right now, 25 bucks for four of them. I'll be running out soon. The Rhodium Mixtape Documixery, available at documixery.com. And I stand by my word that... Um, uh, I will put this up against any West Coast documentary uh, when it pertains to hip-hop history. And uh, let me give a shout-out to my boy Jen from Fashion Town off of Western and Carson Street. hope I didn't get that wrong. Jen from Fashion Town, he blessed me with his hat and this Wilmington shirt. I'm always representing my neighborhood. I got love for my people in my neighborhood and love for everyone. And once again, uh, one more announcement. Uh, Shout-out to my boy Nato from San Diego because he blessed me with this little owl you can order this at www.sawedoffcartel.com that's cartel with a k www.sawedoffcartel.com i'm gonna let this guy hang out for a minute over here uh for the rest of the show um but now we're all waiting for uh my special guest so i'm gonna jump right into it uh without further ado all the way from stockton california david rocha formerly known as sir dino Thank you, sir, for coming. I was, I was waiting for an applause, but I can't hear the fans. But <laughs> how you doing, man? Doing good. Yeah. It was a long drive, though. I was going to ask you, how was that drive? It was nice, actually. It was it was pretty fast. My wife, I, she lives in, she's originally from the San Fernando Valley. Really? So I bring her to visit her family and stuff. And actually, this was the fastest we got here. I'm like, man, we got here quick, you know? <laughs> but um, it was, you know, because you know that uh, on Sunday we went to church. And just had the car packed, yeah. gas tank full, and just made our way all the way over here. So now we're here. And yeah. You know what? As a matter of fact, this morning you were preaching and on Facebook, because we're friends on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, I saw you uh, preaching that sermon. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good. Now, I know it's Sunday. Last Sunday, we didn't have uh, 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 an episode, if you will, because yeah, Super Bowl. Uh, it was Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So since you are originally from up north, if I'm correct, um, are you a 49ers fan? Raiders. Okay, Raiders, Raiders. Yeah. Did you enjoy the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Uh, uh, yeah? Were you happy with the outcome? No, I mean, that one touchdown, you know which one I'm talking right, about? Right. That one, come on, come on. You know what I mean? It's like, even though I support my Raiders, I mean, I'm just West Coast, you know what I mean? So it's a California team playing. Right. So I was hoping for the Niners, but 
man, you know, it was right. a good game. Regardless, it was a good game. So that's good. That's good, man. Uh, um, so now, uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, where are you originally from? Where were you born? Where were you raised at? I was born and raised in Tracy. Okay. Yeah, it's a small town. Right now, I'm in Stockton, which is about 20 minutes away. Uh, but I was born and raised in Tracy. It's, it's about. It's an hour east of Oakland. Okay. Well, about 40 minutes away from Oakland. Okay. Yeah, so just to kind of, you know. You must have went to a lot of Oakland Raiders games then. I've only, I've only been to two. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a lot of Raider parties in my house, though. Mm-hmm. You know, but, uh, yeah, I've only been to two games. But, I mean, uh, just to kind of geography-wise, you know, it's not too far from the Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and and what what elementary school did you attend out there in Tracy? Clover High, uh, Clover Middle School, which doesn't exist anymore. Really? Yeah. So was that from, if you will, what is that, from K to 8? Is that No, what no, that was like 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Okay. Uh, and uh, at the time, this is, it, where I grew up was a small town. Okay. So there was only two middle schools, and that was it. So Clover was one of them, and, and that's where I went, but it's not there anymore. They turned it into some other type of school or something. Okay. And high school? Tracy High. Tracy High. What, what was yeah. your guys' mascot? A bulldog. A bulldog. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, these little towns, they're like <laughs> everybody's behind the football teams. Right. You know, it's like it's what you call a football town. And back then we were winning championships left and right, you know, so Tracy High Bulldogs were just dominating. You know, this was during the eighties, uh mid to late eighties. Okay. And um so it's a football town and, and um one high school now I think there's a handful of them now. Well, what what was your what were your school colors? Green and gold. Green and gold. Okay. I, had to, I had to think about it. It's been so long. <laughs> uh, growing up, well, let me ask you this. Going to high school, uh, or yeah. maybe even before high school, did you ever play like any Pop Warner uh, football or baseball or anything? Nah. What nah. about high school? Any football at all? No. Nah. Even though your school was dominant, you didn't even like play? Nah, they probably would have lost if I would have joined. <laughs> I mean, because you look kind of yeah. stocky. I look at your yeah. videos. Are you like a stocky Man, I was a, I was a skinny kid. Yeah? Actually, yeah, I was a skinny kid. Wow. In high school. You know what I mean? I was, I was real thin, and I don't know what happened. But, you know. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, I, di- I didn't get involved in a lot of stuff, man. I, I didn't, and I was just really um, went down the wrong path really early. Really? Okay. You know? uh, uh, brothers, sisters? Three brothers, no sisters. No sisters. Yeah, one okay. little brother, and, uh, well, yeah, two older brothers and one younger brother. So okay. it's, it's four of us. Okay, and yeah. and and uh, uh, growing up at home with your mother and your father, yeah. Uh, what type of music would you say you were raised or grew up with around your home? Well, you know, my mom and and she became a Christian when I was five. My dad when I was eight. Hmm. So it was more like they were like hardcore Christian. Like you couldn't have worldly music around at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I grew up around the music my brothers played. Okay. Yeah. So my brothers, the only time I could listen to music was when I went cruising with my older brother because he had a lowrider. He was in a lowrider car club. So he played a lot of um, just what we consider old school now, but it wasn't right old school then, you know. But uh, I mean, if I would name, I guess a lot of it was Prince, Michael Jackson, Daz Band, Gap Band, a lot of that, that's that, that uh, Midnight Star. Right. You know, so I grew up around a lot of that. And then the beginning of rap, uh, Grandmaster Flash, Melly Mel, I remember my brother had that, and I was blown away. It was the first time I heard rap music. Really? Yeah, with Grandmaster Flash. And, wow. Um, what, what, what song would that be? The Message? Yeah. 
But but he had he had the whole cassette. Okay. You know, so um, we would just play and play and play. It. I I couldn't get enough of it. Right. You know, it was like it was just something about it. I never heard nothing like that before, and uh, I can't remember. I don't know. Just a lot of those groups right. that were around at that okay. time. A lot of oldies too. Uh -huh. A lot of oldies. So so I'm sure you listen to that music. You know, escondidas like hiding from your parents. You no, know, make sure that they don't listen to yeah, you know. Yeah. They hear you. you know, you know, the funny story was the fact that um. Like I said, I grew up in a Christian home, and like it wasn't allowed. Mm -hmm. Well, my brother bought African Bambada, okay, Planet Rock, and he had the album. And my dad had one of those old school record players uh -huh. that looked kind of like they're wooden, but it was plastic. Right. Well, I thought I would learn how to scratch on that, <laughs> and <laughs> and I was just bumping it. I was bumping it loud. Because I got home from, from school, everybody was at work. My dad was a farm worker, so he wouldn't get home till the sun went down. Okay. Well, this day, he got home early, and he walks he walks up the porch and hears not only his record player being played, not only his record player being scratched, his needle, because he can't right. do that in those old school ones, right. but worldly music being played. And, oh, man, he came, busted the door, and, I mean, busted in through the, not break, broke the door, but, right. you know, opened the door and broke the record and what are you doing now this and that and it's kind of funny because i joke with them now because i'm like dad if you didn't have broke that i wouldn't have been rebellious and became a rapper like you know because i was just joking with right, them you right, know right. but uh i joke with them and say that that's what sparked it right there but i said dad i'm just i'm just trying to dj i'm trying to scratch and right. he's like he wasn't hearing it you know but back then we didn't have scratch pads either you know so, so you're scratching the bottom of the record yeah you know? yeah yeah. So, so, so uh, uh, now let me ask you this. Yeah. And be honest. Did you pop or break dance back in the days? Yes. Of course, right? right? Of course. Who all did, of us it? did it? We all did. Were you any good? I was really good at popping. Okay. Break dancing, I could hold my own. Do you still have any any good moves that you can show? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we clear this table. Right. No. Okay. Uh, um, now, ever play any instruments at all in school or at home? No, not, Other than the not till later, not till later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, you, your brother, so would you say your brothers were somewhat of a major influence on you, uh, leading you to rap, if you will, uh, uh, because they actually introduced you to yeah. to rap. Uh, um, and you said a big influence or something that you were really attracted to was yeah. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the message, and that they had the song Scorpio and Freedom yeah. and a bunch of other dope yeah. songs. So would you say that those songs were your early inspiration to becoming a rapper or is that just the I music? think I think at that time I just I just loved I loved it. I loved the the, the music and, and, and the vibe and what it was doing because it's so different at that time. Right. You know, and uh I th I think there was more of an influence toward just the whole Chicanismo, low riding, because my brother was in a low rider car club. He was in one of the oldest car clubs actually in in Stockton, which was Brown Persuasion. Uh -huh. And um, so I would always go to their their meetings. Uh, whenever Lowrider magazine would come and do a car show, um, it was like a big deal for me to go with my brother to enter his car and we'd buff his uh, wax his car and clean it up. And so it was really exciting. So that whole life is. Um, I kind of feel like the, this pull because I'm, I was raised in a Christian home, mm -hmm. but the same. I'm not nothing's wrong with low riding, you know. Right. But I'm saying what what I turned it to later. Right. But at the time, um, it really ingrained in me that whole lifestyle and, and just our culture. Yes. It, and I grew up embracing that. Yeah. You know, and I think that influenced not the rap, but what I rapped about. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, did you end up graduating high school? 
No. Well, I don't feel bad neither that I <laughs> And I admit that shamefully because I wish yeah. I could have. Yeah, yeah. I, I love learning now. Yes. And I'm yes. like, why didn't I love learning then? You know, and to actually, to be honest, I didn't have a problem with learning. I just had a problem with listening to teachers. Same here. You know, because learning wasn't a problem. I would actually, I've always been a reader all my life. All my life. Since I was a kid, all the way through high school. I would, I know this sounds weird, but sometimes I would ditch school and go to the library and read. Really? Yeah. And, and it's weird. I, I would, and I would pick different subjects. I would like Roman civilization. And I just sit there and read it. You know what I mean? And just, it was weird. Some of my homeboys thought I was kind of weird. Like, right. what's up with this dude? What are you reading <laughs> books for? You know, but, um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't graduate high school. Um, at 18, I did go back to get my GD though. Okay. Because by that time I had a daughter and for whatever reason, I had the clarity enough to say, man, this little girl is going to grow up someday. And I want to be able to push her education. And how can I do it without one myself? So I went back, took the GD, and and got that. So okay, okay. Now, uh, what year were you supposed to graduate? Do you remember? Ninety. Ninety. Okay, I was supposed to graduate uh, eighty-six. Okay. You, you know, but I always tell everybody I graduated backstage. You know, I was just <laughs> cruising around the graduation with me and my brother <laughs> drinking forties. You know, yeah. but I, I wish I could have because you know, it, it, as sad as this may sound, and I don't believe me, I don't say this proudly. I say shamefully. My mom had ten kids, and only one graduated high school. Only one. Yeah. So you know, back then you could have called me el burro, es un burro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't like reading until I hit like around 21 years old. Yeah. That's when I fell in love with books. Like I tried buying tablets and tried downloading books, but yeah. I love reading and opening books. I like going to old antique stores. I love going to uh, uh, old libraries. I love, I just yeah. like Same here. reading. Same you know, here. Uh, uh, I'll show you later in the back. I have a collection of maybe about a thousand books. Wow. Uh, that I book. Cause I, I you, you yeah. mentioned like Rome. Uh, uh, I read about ancient history. I love ancient oh, history. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love history. Yeah. So a uh, few things that we, there, we have in common now as soon as you left school uh, um or w when did you get your first job do you remember your first job it was at a car wash okay yeah at okay. a car wash being a dryer okay <laughs> just drying with the towels you know i had that job and then i i learned how to detail because my brother that was a, into low riding um he had uh started painting custom cars mm -hmm. a lot of cars so just kind of hanging around with him because he was like i was always with him you know what i mean and and um he taught me how to how to buff cars and do this and that. So then I learned how to detail, you know, with the buffers and stuff. Right. So then I ended up getting jobs at some of the local, uh, uh, Ford, like the Ford dealership, Chevrolet dealership. Uh, I, I had a problem with listening to anybody. So the jobs, <laughs> I didn't keep them very long, but... Um, those are my first jobs was, was auto detail. Yeah, it was, it, it, same thing for me. I I did, I had a problem. Uh, my I would say my third job, wow. Uh, first job was selling records at the age of 11. Third job, I mean, second job was working at Zodi's. Do you remember Zodi's yeah. back in the day? Yeah. I worked there. Uh, my brother got me a job there and they didn't like me because I didn't take orders well. Then my third job was at a video store and I quit before they could find the phone bill because I was making outrageous phone calls, <laughs> long distance phone calls, hanging out on the That's phone. That's when they used to charge for long distance. That's when they used to charge long distance. And then they went up from like after nine o'clock, I guess mm -hmm. it was free or something like that. Okay. So, so, uh, um, you were going out with your brothers and do you believe Possibly hanging out with your brothers is what led you, if you will, into the life that you were once a part of, uh, uh, hanging out on the streets, yeah. if you will. Do you believe it started there? Um, or 
outside influences possibly you know i, I hate to say complete because my brothers never got in, involved in all that stuff okay um they were especially my older brother he was he was he was a cholo pachuco you know what i mean the way he dressed and I, I grew up seeing him creasing his pants creasing his baggies creasing his dickies and his ben davis and so that influence as far as that style of dress that he did influence me but he wasn't getting in trouble he was right. into lowrider and you guys know a lot of people outside of our culture they mix gangbangers with lowriders and actually those are two completely different things right because the guys that are into lowriders they love their cars they care for the cars they care for that culture um so he was more that direction okay you know but i think um and when i grew up in, in my generation which was next because my brother is 10 years older than me um, that whole dress turned into something different over there. Okay. You know, I, I'm, I know it was way different, you know, down here in SoCal, but over there it, it started changing into something uh, negative. Okay. You know, and that's kind of what, I, so I don't want to directly say he, he led me down the wrong path, but okay. as far as the, the Cholo style that mm -hmm. he did influence me. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. You know, like with me, uh, um, I don't ever want to, how would you say paint a picture of me that I was a really, really bad guy. But I will say that at one point in my life, I was really rebellious. You know, I had a uh, uh, brother-in-laws and even my mother and my father, they used to call me the Diablo, you know, uh, and they weren't being sarcastic. Well, <laughs> you know, they just say it's a cabron son Diablo. That's what they used to call me yeah. because I, I just never, I just never listened. I was never good at listening. And out of all my brothers and sisters, they would say that I was the worst, the one, yeah. you know, but I would say my brothers didn't have an influence on my sisters. It was what I gave myself to outside of my family. Yeah. I would see people breaking into homes. I would see people breaking into cars, uh, involved in gangs. And after a while, I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I, I, I thought at first, you know, during that time, that's my family. Yeah. You know, outside. Uh, um, was there anything similar like that to you? You know, for me, um, another thing, too, that in Tracy, because it was a small town, which was pretty much predominantly, you were either going to be white or Latino. That's it. Okay. There was hardly any any blacks, any Asians, any anything. And um, the school I went to was probably 98% white. Okay. And so the reason I got involved into the bad stuff was actually because of racism toward me as a kid. Okay. You know, I was, as a little kid, these kids I grew up with in kindergarten, first, second, by third, fourth, fifth grade, they're calling me wetback and beaner. And I mean, and I'm just like, I didn't even understand what that meant, you know? And I, I would go home and be like, I got called this. What does that mean? You know? And um, it was then that it was more about race than because there was no vario against vario, there wasn't none of that. Right. It was more about just straight racism. Uh, I remember one time I got surrounded. I, I went to the bathroom in elementary school, came out, and I was surrounded, wasn't let out, and they started calling me names and spitting sunflower seeds at me, calling me wetback, stuff like that. You know. So at that time, that's I think this this anger, this anger and, and hate started to grow in me, and um, and that just unleashed when I got older. You know, in my teen years. Right, right. You know, and um, I, I think that's what started more of it. Yeah. You know, uh, something similar here, uh, even though here in the city of Wilmington, uh, during the 80s, it was black and Mexican. Yeah. Okay, black and Mexican, and blacks were killing Mexican, Mexican killing blacks, and Mexicans were killing Mexicans here. 
But I would say that in my junior high school, there were some whites and there were uh, blacks, Samoans, Filipinos, and Mexicans predominantly. Well, not just one predominant nationality, yeah. just many people. But I would say that I was actually called the same thing, wetback, pinche mojado, you know, go back to your tu país, you know, yeah. a, a bunch of stuff like that. And it, inside, it really, really brings you down, you know. Yeah. And it, in me, it built... Uh, attitude of I'm going to show them and I think that was possibly what led me down the wrong path at one point in my yeah. life you know my brother my little brother actually experienced that the same thing mm -hmm. you know uh, um, but yeah I think that's what pretty much led me in that direction now taking it back to the music when did you at what point in your life or possibly at what age did you say uh, what influenced you? What did you see that you said, I'm going to take, you know, my, the pencil to the paper yeah. and start writing some lyrics? I think I was about 15, 15 and a half. Okay. And um, I started writing poems. Okay. And uh, I, it didn't even dawn on me that it was raps because at that time, all it was was a lot of East Coast and uh, maybe a handful of artists from L.A., like L.A. Dream Team and just like those right. first, first, which... Was, wasn't really rap, you know what I mean? Wrecking Crew, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that, but it was mostly... So I didn't think of it like I was writing raps. I was just writing poems, you know? And uh, a, a lot of it was... For me, I used the poetry to kind of... Um, I had a lot of stuff going on because then it started kind of getting into gangs mm -hmm. without realizing that's what it was going to. Now, as I look back, but at the time, there was those groups of people and we started fighting and then just drama started happening. And I would kind of um, unleash on paper, okay, you know, in, in poems. And and one day, uh, I got kicked out of Tracy High, and I went to a continuation. And I don't know if, if what it was like over here, but over there, if you were a DJ, then you were almost like a little celebrity. It's like that here. Okay, and back then the DJs would rent a hall, and because he was DJing everybody would go to the dance or whatever they call it right well there was this local dj in tracy djmt everybody knew about him i knew about him and um when i went to continuation school uh i i was right next to him sitting down i'm like man i'm sitting by djmt you know what i mean it was like <laughs> a big old deal to me right and i don't even know if he knows this now if he if he watches this or or anything and um one day he saw me writing he was what are you writing I said, oh, nothing, 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 you know? And he's, no, seriously, what are you writing? And he just kept on, kept on. I was like, well, I'm just writing some poems. And he goes, can I, can I, can I hear them? I was like, no. <laughs> but he finally convinced me and I showed him something. He's like, man, he goes, you need to make these into raps. You should, you should do these poems with beats behind it. And coming from him, coming from him was a huge, like, you think so? And it was just kind of there, right? And at the same time, is when Too Short came out. Okay. Now, Too Short, before the nation knew about him, he was a local artist, sold out of his trunk, literally, and had these cassettes that he, the covers were made like on some copy machine. Okay. And in the local store in Tracy, because we were in the vicinity, you know, he, I guess, would, I don't know how they got in our local store, but there was this Too Short, Too Short cassette, Born to Mac and Freaky Tales and a lot of these songs. And I'm like, this guy is like 40 minutes away from here. Like, it, to me, all rap was on the East Coast. Right. 
and kind of this encouragement from DJMT and the poems, and then too short. I'm like, if he could do it, I could do it. Right. And that's kind of what what kicked it off. That's that's what started it. Okay. And yeah. and uh, how soon after that would you say? that you got into uh, making beats, or should I say, who did you find to say, you know, make me a beat? Or were you just rapping off of instrumentals off of side B Rex, you know, of 12 inches? Yeah, at or? first, very, for a very short time, it was just rapping on, on records. Okay. Just to myself, not to anybody, you know, and I'm, thank God, because it was horrible, you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it just kind of started like that. But then uh, there was a studio in Stockton at UOP. UOP is one of the big universities over there. Okay. And um, I found out they, they rented studio time. So I go to find out, and it's this white man that's blind, hmm. engineering the studio. And I'm just talking to him. I said, uh, how much do I charge? I, I want to do three songs. I want to do a, a demo. You know, that was like the thing back then. You got to have a demo. And um, and he produced the whole thing, and it was through him that I learned to engineer. Really? Yeah, because he he would be like, I'm like, what are you doing right now? I, I was like a million questions, and he's like, oh, this is this is the the bass, this is this, this is the the compressor, this is the, you know all right. this stuff, and and he goes, I want you to hear something. He goes, I want you to stand right here. He goes, he goes close your eyes, and he he taught me how to mix with my eyes closed because he was blind. Wow. You know, so a lot of times, you know, I made my albums, my first albums on a four track and people couldn't understand how did you make that four track sound like that? Because I, to me, I credit, his name was Jeff Crawford. I learned from him because he taught me the art of mixing and mm. engineering because you can have a good song all you want. Right. But if it ain't engineered and mixed right. Right. You know, and... um and that's kind of what started it. But after those three songs, I realized really fast I couldn't afford to keep paying this guy to produce. Right. And um, so I, I started diving into buying my own equipment. Okay. About how many songs would you say you recorded with this man? Three. Three songs. Okay. Yeah. So total three. And did he give them to you on what? Uh, a DAT? A cassette? Um, CD at the time? How did he give them to me? And uh, do you, I don't remember. Do, do you remember what kind of what kind of board he had or anything like no, that? No, it was it was one of those. It was a huge board. It was back then, so I, I didn't pay attention at that time. Uh -huh. um, okay. Um, All right. Yeah, so, so it wasn't digital. It had meters. Okay. You know, so analog then. Yeah, it was analog. Okay. Yeah, there was no digital. Okay. Yeah. So soon after that, you started, uh, uh, if you will, looking into buying your own equipment, and I guess yeah. you bought a four track, like you said. Yeah, I bought a four track of Fostex. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, any turntables, anything? No, no. But I did buy a Roland D20 okay. workstation. The whole reason, because you can make a whole song on it. You can okay. sequence your beats and, and just keep adding tracks of instrumentals, you know. So I started to produce and because and, I couldn't afford it. So I start, I never played music in my life. So I just started playing what sounded good to my ear. So you just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did the drum tracks. I learned, like I said, what I did know, I learned from those three songs from, from this man that was, that was right. blind. And um, to me, he almost became like a... A mentor, if you will? Well, like, like a Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he became, he became a mentor. And um, I believe that he what, he, what I learned with him that short period of time, few months. Yes. I mean, took me five, six steps up the ladder. Had I tried this whole thing by myself, yeah, 
So I felt like I had an upper hand uh, because of him. Now, 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 let me ask you this. When you bought your equipment, because th th to me, this was a big one. Yeah. I only knew how to hook up turntables to a mixer, okay, <laughs> and a mixer to an amp, yeah. and then from the amp to the speakers. Did you know how to hook up all your equipment, or did you have somebody else? Um, at first, I actually, I bought the keyboard first, so I would make beats, but oh. then I would still go to him to record my songs. Okay. So I would... The whole thing would be saved on a floppy disk. It had a floppy disk on, on the keyboard. And I'd show up. i say, I got five songs. You know, and I'd pay him for those hours. But I already had the songs memorized. I was ready to go. And that way it wouldn't cost me so much money. It wasn't until later watching him engineer those songs that I went and got the four track. Mm -hmm. And by that time, I mean, I, I'm very savvy with technology and stuff anyway. So I just, I just took off from there. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So now you go back to record uh, uh, with him. How soon after that did you release anything as far as uh, uh, wow. album? Um, but how many and how many songs before you said, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if you could remember, like, okay, I'm ready. Let me go ahead and throw this out there. I think from the time I was 16 until the time I was 19 or 20. So it was actually a couple of years. Then. Yeah, I was just. Um, I started to do concerts before I ever recorded anything because hmm. I didn't know that that process of the, you know, of the industry at all. Wow. So see, see, I, I didn't know that. I thought I did my homework on you. Yeah. Um, so I, I did concerts first and I approached a, a, a car. Sh it, it wasn't a lowrider magazine, but it was a competitor lowrider magazine. He was throwing car shows everywhere. And um, I approached him and I said, is there any way that I can perform in your car shows? Because he was getting headliners, you know. And um, he says, well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Help me put flyers up. He goes, in whatever show we do, if you help me if you help me promote it. Because back then, the car shows, every single post had the picture. Right. I don't know if they did it like that over here. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, he would leave me on this main street. And he'd be like, I'm going to start on that side. And you start on this side. And we would just, with a staple gun and stacks right. of flyers. And he would put me on as the very first act. Which wasn't really nothing because at 12 o'clock nobody's at a car show right right you know but i had to work my way up uh from that and at the time this was just you by yourself you're you being solo no i had a few other guys with me okay yeah okay i had a few guys um i had my cousin at the time i had uh fda and um this other guy and um they, they didn't continue with it okay after that you know but um, it was just us, and we would just do these shows. Now, before we go to commercial, let me ask yeah. you this. They give you the mic, they introduce you, okay? Yeah. And at this time, was it Sir Dino? Was it already that name? Yeah, it was already Sir Dino. Okay, when we come back, we'll get into why Sir Dino, but they give you the mic, Sir Dino, here you go. First of all, how many songs do you remember performing? The, at that time? Yeah, at that time, at that time, your first show. I probably had like four or five in my repertoire, but I probably would do like one or two. Okay. Every time I performed live. Now, did you get nervous when you first went out there? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I, yeah. You probably forgot your lyrics, huh? All the time. <laughs> I wow. still do. If I would, if I would, people tell me now, they're like, hey, you know, remember that song? Remember that? Song? I was like, I, I don't remember. And they're like, no, come on. I know you're Christian now, but you remember. I was like, really? I, I don't remember my songs because I, I would knock songs out left and right. I would be in the studio all night, record a song next, record a song next. I just write them on the fly and just record them, you know. So oh. um, I never had a chance to give myself a chance to even memorize my songs. Now, you're out there rapping and all of a sudden and yeah. you forget. What do you do? 
I just started talking to the crowd. <laughs> Say ho. Yeah. Good part about it was I, I used instrumentals. So okay. I didn't rap over my own songs with lyrics. I had instrumentals. So to them, it was like it must have been a break or a bridge on there. So, okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. So it, it didn't make me look crazy with my voice still booming and yeah that'll work that'll work. okay well hold that thought we're gonna we're gonna come back we're gonna go commercial we're gonna take 10 minutes and then we're gonna pick up with your name sir dino and we'll go on from there all right so okay once again everybody eroding radio episode 31 uh the documentary.com the four cds for 25 bucks my little al kicking it over here at www.sawedoffcartel.com uh, uh once again call somebody take somebody page somebody slap somebody let them know that david rocha formerly known as sir dino is in the building and we'll be back in 10 minutes once again everybody welcome back to rhodium radio episode 31 and i'm sitting here with david rocha also known as or formerly known as Sir Dino. Sir Dino, thank you for coming back. Uh, uh, we're back now. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, it, let me let me say something really quick because people need to know how we actually met. And uh, it was, to me, it was kind of a cool story. Um, I think it was because we have 31 episodes. Well, this will be 31. But I think it was like the 15th episode that I did. And that was when I was checking my uh, YouTube yeah. comments. I don't mm -hmm. check them anymore because there's people that go on there purposely yeah. just to get under your skin, okay? Um, so I was checking them and I noticed that uh, names were popping up like Psycho Realm, Conejo, uh, get, uh, 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 um, what's the other guy, Night Owl, or et cetera. And then the, another name kept popping up, Sardino. Guess or Dino, Guess or Dino, like 10 different people on all the comments. Guess or Dino, Guess or Dino. But there was one guy that on every time he got an opportunity, I believe, Guess or Dino, Guess or Dino. And then I finally, for him, for me to stop getting the notification, <laughs> I just said, okay, have him contact me. Yeah. That's all I said. Have yeah. him contact me. You know, I, I don't know if he knew. And then he, he responds, well, I don't know him. And I go, well, neither do I. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, in other words, stop bugging. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to be mean or nothing. <laughs> but uh, finally, he hits me back like a few minutes later. And he says, hey, uh, I hit him up. And he answered, yeah. uh, uh, give me your email. So I'm thinking to myself, huh? Okay, I don't know about this one. Yeah. So I sent him my email. Then he emails me and he goes, give me your number. I'll give it to him. He said he'll call you. So and then I was like, okay, should I give him my number? <laughs> you know, so I said, all right, cool, whatever. Gave him my number through email and then you called. Yeah. And I'll be honest, you, I didn't believe it. I thought the guy was just pulling my leg. Yeah. But that's actually how we met and we set this up uh, late last year, if you will. Yeah. I think in November or something like that we talked. Yeah, yeah. Right and, before Christmas. Yeah. And um, and that's how we set, set that up. Um, but I'll tell you what, when... I posted this flyer this week on Monday. Uh, was it Monday or no, Thursday, actually? Yeah. On Thursday, uh, the response was overwhelming. Like, there was a lot of people that were happy and excited that this was actually going to take place. You know, and I was happy and excited. And then you got those few knuckleheads, and I know they're watching right now. So, by the way, those comments on the live chat are hilarious. So keep them coming, you guys, because that's actually entertainment for us when we're on our break. But anyways, back to what I was saying. Sir Dino, how did you come up with that name? Um, it was actually a, a childhood name. Uh, since you brought up breaking and popping. Right. I really like that. And it died out really fast. Yeah. You know, I remember being in sixth or seventh grade 
And that's all everybody did at lunchtime. That's all everybody did after school. And then when it started dying out, I was kind of sad about it. I'm like, man, what's up, man? This is fun, you know? <laughs> I just learned all these moves, and now it's just phasing out, you know? And then the craziest thing, I saw this Mountain Dew commercial of these guys doing tricks on a bike. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah. In my head, I was in seventh grade. And I said, that looks like breakdancing on a bike. Wow. And so I started doing that. I, I started doing tricks on my BMX bike. And um, this GT, remember GT? Yeah. You know, those like red line diamondback. Well, GT made um, a bike called a dyno. Okay. And you know, like I said, my dad was a farmer. We didn't have a whole lot of money. But I took that ad out of a magazine, posted it on, on, on my door of my bedroom. And I fantasized to have this dyno, all chrome bike, you know. And uh, so when I finally did get it, uh, after my eighth grade, yeah, after eighth grade, um, everybody called me dyno. I would just go around town as a kid just doing tricks on my bike. You know, and I started, to me, it was an extension of breakdancing because it was like you'd play music. It got to the point where we would do little shows and little carnivals and stuff like that. Right. There was a group of us and... It was actually really, to me, the quiet before the storm of all hell breaking loose in my life right. was that moment. That was, that was like a really happy time in my life, you know, and uh, and everybody just knew me as Dino or Dino Dave because hey. everywhere I went was on a Dino bike. Were you good at doing tricks and everything? Yeah, yeah. I got a sponsorship by this local bike shop and, and uh, we would do the parades and everything. It was fun. Really? Yeah, it was wow. fun. And for how long did you do that? Uh between eighth grade, ninth grade, and maybe probably the end of ninth, that's when I just started. I, I just messed up, you right, know. Right. Just started acting dumb. Okay, right? you know it's funny. You said you brought up bikes. It's funny because my first bike was a Kent K. Yeah, I remember that. From Kmart, my brother bought one, but yeah. I thought it was the dopest thing. <laughs> the, you know, the, the the wheels were like gold with the, the, the rims. Yeah, I used to lie to people say they were alloyed wheels. You know, <laughs> but the only thing I could do was do a short wheelie, a little uh, uh, bunny hop, and a yeah. kick out. I guess. Yeah. You know, but I was never really any good at that yeah. crap. But uh, so I just stuck. Everybody in town knew me as Dino. Okay. So then when I started rapping a few years later, I just put the sir on there because uh, I didn't want to put MC because everybody was MC this, MC that, or yeah. Grandmaster this. So I just said Sir Dino. That's dope. Yeah. That's dope. So now you do your first show. Yeah. You forget your lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> who who would you say uh, uh, was the headliner? Do you remember? My first show I did was at a, a lowrider. It wasn't lowrider magazine, but it was a lowrider car show in Oakwood, what was it called, man? It was in Manteca, which is the next to Tracy, the town next to Tracy. And um, Kid Frost was the headliner. Really? He had just came out with uh, uh, Rasa, the Rasa song. Okay. And um, But obviously he was headlining, so he was way, you know, at the end of the, right before the end of the trophies and everything. I was way in the beginning, but uh, that was the first time I, I did a concert. Okay. Did you get a chance to meet him? No, no. Okay. No. Who, who else were performing there, if you can remember? Uh, at that at that show, yeah, I don't remember. Okay, it might have been it might have been Joe Cooley. Too. No, no, that was a different show. Yeah, that was a different one. Ronnie and Joe Cooley. So you, you ever meet Ronnie and Joe Cooley? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I did a whole lot of car shows after that with a lot of headliners after that, and, oh. and each time the each time it was crazy because at the time there was hardly any Chicano rappers. There right. wasn't any other than Frost with with his song, you know, and for sure there wasn't any up north at all. 
Right. You know what I mean? So when me coming out, I come out all choloed out and everything. So it was a whole different thing. And each show, I started gathering more people. More people started knowing my name, knowing my name. And I started doing the car show circuit. And we would go like from Stockton and then we'd do a Sacramento car show, San Jose car show, Oakland car show. So I, my name started getting out there. They're like, man, there's this Cholo dude up there rapping, you know what I mean? And uh, and that's kind of what, as as more people started coming, uh, the promoter started bumping me up closer and closer to the headliner. Okay. So before I, I even had a release out, I was already headlining shows. Oh, wow. Which is kind of backwards for most people in the industry. Really? Yeah. Just headlining shows and you didn't even really have... Didn't have anything. Just wrapping off instrumentals, if you will. Yeah, well, they were my instrumentals that okay. off the D20, off okay. the rolling D20, but they wow. were my songs. And um, I was I was really close up there. Uh, usually by this time, it would be like I did, uh, wow, Ronnie Ojo Cooley, uh, Second to None, uh, wow. Ice Cube, uh, Frost, Cypress Hill, MC Breed. You know what? Uh, I'm, war, surprised, war. I'm surprised that we never did any shows with you because yeah. we did a lot of shows up north. Yeah. And I got another story. A story yeah. I want story I want to share with you. Yeah. When my first encounter with some Norteños. Were you doing? Were you doing the Lowrider magazine circuit though? Okay. No. No. I yeah. we we just getting booked from all kinds of different okay. promoters. So okay. Because I, I was just strictly with this promoter doing okay. his car shows. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, um, it's it's funny because. Okay, well, I'm not going to jump into that story. Uh, I'll get into it. All right. So now, when you're doing these shows, um, at what point now did you decide, okay, I need to release my first album? The whole deal with this promoter was he kept telling me, you're the next biggest thing. You're the next biggest thing. So every car show, he would hype me up to put more flyers up for him. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, and he kept promising that he would take me to the studio and release these songs. So it was like a little carrot that he hang in front of me. Oh, wow. And then he'd be like, oh, the car show didn't do that good, but the next one's going to be big. Next one's going to be big, but just help me put these flyers up. And that's kind of like he just, you know, kind of did that. And uh, toward the end, um, he did release a, 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 a EP of my songs, and that's the very first release I had. Okay. Do you know what year that was? I think 91. 91. Yeah, okay. 91. And, but uh, what year did, would you say you started making music with this uh, blind gentleman? 88. 88. So you yeah. literally started in 88. Did, Maybe 89. Okay. And didn't release nothing until 1991. Yeah. That was the same year that uh, the I'm Not Your Puppet album, my album, dropped. Yeah. Which, which I bought. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, and, and so that's what I'm saying. I'm surprised that yeah. we never did any, any yeah. shows. Now... Your album drops or EP drops? Yeah. What did we check? Locally. It was locally. Six or seven songs? I think like six. Okay. Yeah. And what was the title of, of that album? It was uh, G-U-N. Okay. It was called Generation Under Nation at that time. Okay. And uh, I don't remember the I don't remember the song names, like, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Maybe Poor Side of Town, uh, Tracy Town Familia, I think. Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Right, now... After that, now how, how did that do locally? Amazing! I, I couldn't, really? I couldn't hold on to them. Yeah, wow. just cassettes, cassettes. They're all shrink wrapped and just. And then really quick after that, then I recorded a full blown album, and I named it after the car club my brother was in, Brown Persuasion. Okay. And that that one was even further. Now it just really took off. Wow. Yeah. Locally, now, now, locally, no distribution, no nothing. Now, now, now if you had to guess. Or maybe you do know. Yeah. Um, 
Why do you think it did so well? Why do you think it took off? It's just your lyrics were hitting people. It yeah. was the music. People were able to relate to it. I think all of that. I've, I've always been told, I don't know. I'm, I've always been told my voice was unique. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the only voice I know, so I don't know. You know, another thing was the fact that nobody was doing music for our people. Okay. You know, and if they did, it was like like Frost, and that was right. so far away. Right. You know, and um, but being that I would mention San Francisco, Oakland, Sacramento, you know, so it just, there was nobody else doing it. So it was like the people in your community was pretty much saying, we yeah. have somebody. Yeah. And they embraced it, and they ran with it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I, I mean, I don't know, you, maybe other people that were in it as mm -hmm. on that end, maybe they'll say something different, but... My whole thing was I wanted to do music for people and that was it. Okay. You know, I wasn't trying to cross over. I wasn't trying to do any of those things. Not to say any, any of that is wrong, you know, right. but I, I just wanted to to share the experience, you know what I mean, of of what, what I went through. You know, okay. my dad being a, a farm worker, my dad, you know, me being raised, you know, seeing the, the tomato fields, we lived on a ranch, uh -huh. you know, in Tracy. So sharing that experience, you know, I, I bonded a lot mentally when I would read about Cesar Chavez and the things that he did. And then my dad telling me stories about Cesar Chavez coming to the fields and saying, Huelga. you know, so a lot of that stuff was a huge influence for me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, then after Brown Persuasion came, what next? After Brown Persuasion. Um, would you say uh, interview with a junior? No, actually, ac actually after that, I got tired of nothing happening. I okay. had a daughter now. Okay. I, I had a little baby daughter. Um, I got fired from my job and I said, you know what? I need to make money and this ain't making money. Who cares if I go to a car show and there's a thousand people cheering for me? That doesn't feed my daughter. And I had actually contemplating just quitting rap music. Okay. I mean, I just, for what? What's it for? You know, it ain't gonna do nothing. And um, so I went through maybe almost a year of uh, just laying it down. I was like, I didn't, I didn't mm. want nothing to do with it. The studio just started gathering dust and, and, you know, just, it was doing nothing. Okay. And um, at that time, there was a lot of local rappers that we would see each other at the car shows. Okay. And then I wouldn't see them until the next month when there was another car show. And um, these two brothers... Uh, they're the Quiroz brothers. They're the ones that started making the movie. I started making the movies with them. They showed up at my house because they ran into a, a homeboy of mine that lived where they lived and he brought them to my house and they basically sat down with me. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, I ain't doing anything. They're like, no, man, you, you can't give up. We got to keep pushing. And they were local artists and they had a local following in, in the Bay Area. And they're like, we got to get together and do something. Okay. And I was like, for what? You know what I mean? I was just like, <laughs> For what? It ain't going to do nothing. And nobody nobody wants to hear Mexicans rapping, you know? And yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can understand. I mean, now it's different. But back then, nobody was trying to hear it. Right. You know, nobody's trying to hear it. My homeboys weren't even listening to, to they would listen to other stuff. You know, they, they wouldn't even give my stuff the time of day or anybody else. And so, but they said, let's do this, man. Let's really do this. And I was like, how, how, how? What do you mean? How are you going to do this? If, if you don't mind me asking, who, who yeah. were these two individuals? Uh, they were... Uh, Jose and Ed. Okay. Yeah, they're two brothers, and uh, they had a following. They had a group called Temporary Insanity in the Bay Area. Okay. And uh, they said, listen, we see you at the shows. Why don't we combine our fans and make a super group? Yeah. 
and you know some of these rappers you know this rapper i knew a rapper out of san francisco and 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 so we're like let's combine our fan base what do you got it like a thousand people that like your stuff i said yeah well we got you know maybe the same amount and so and so has the same amount why don't we create this super group and we came up with the name dark room familia okay and what, what, what inspired dark room familia because there was a record label if i'm correct called mm -hmm. familia records yeah that was later i think okay. that was later yeah. okay uh but it was a uh, like i said my dad lived in a ranch and there was this old building and i built my studio back there and once we built it, it kind of reminds me of this it was just completely enclosed it was completely dark there's no windows <laughs> so we're like man it's a dark room you know and we were family so that's kind of what made sense yeah okay okay yeah and that was the first official release we did this album called from the body with love okay and that we we pressed a thousand cassettes at that time went you know he knew local stores in the bay area so-and-so knew local stores in san francisco area i you know so we all just put all of our resources together pressed a thousand cassettes shot it out and boom they went like fast and we had to press another thousand really and it was at that time i don't know how but john barunda got a copy of that john barunda now for those of you that yeah. out here know who john barunda is so we'll leave it at that so yeah <laughs> so go ahead and continue the story and, and he i got this call because i think i had my phone number or maybe a pager i don't know back then you know right uh but somehow I got this call from Los Angeles and this guy, he tells me, hey, do you know who Proper Dos is? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. He goes, well, he goes, I helped put them out in ju Juvenile Delinquents or? Juvenile Style, maybe? I don't know. I don't okay. know. I don't remember. And he goes, man, I want to take this album and, and get it nationwide from the body would love. He goes, I think it's going to be big. And, and that's kind of where everything took off from there. And we became... Within that summer, we became nationwide. So you actually drove down here to meet him then? Uh, John Miranda. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, so 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 what did he, what did he just hook you up with a distribution? Is that what it was? He was working with the newly formed label called Sunset Boulevard. It okay. was on La Brea, uh, and uh, it was a. From my understanding, it was a whole bunch of uh, entertainment lawyers that had major mm -hmm. money, and they wanted to start a label, and they had major money. I mean, they pulled all their money together, and he presented this album to them, saying, "I think." this is we can do some of this and uh, they redesigned the cover remastered it we showed up at the studio you gotta understand man i'm from a little small country town and we show up to the studio and like brian mcknight was there and and i'm like what is this, this is crazy it's big old studio i don't even know what the studio is i wouldn't even know how to find it now it's hollywood yeah oh yeah <laughs> you know and um they remastered my the the, the album and um signed a contract and boom i mean every store we went cross country looking for a store that didn't have us and wow. our album was in every single store i mean texas denver i mean you name it or the album we went to miami and it was over there too wow yeah and yeah. that's kind of what like i've taught, talked to my wife before i said that kind of what springboarded us mm -hmm. ahead of all the other local rappers in in the bay area and is is that album even though it was a bum deal financially right but i mean it created this huge platform that i it would have taken me taken me years if I would right. have ever got that yeah okay yeah. now you guys traveling and knowing where you guys live did you guys ever get any altercations performing no well most performances i did was up north okay and that was it because that's the only place like i said that promoter 
Okay. He would do the circuit. He would do Fresno, and then he'd do Stockton, and Sacramento, okay. and San Jose, and Oakland. So his whole circuit was there. He didn't go any further than that. Okay. So I never had any opportunities until later to do shows outside uh -huh. of Northern California. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Now I'm going to share that story with you that I told you. It was 1992, and me and High C yeah. were booked to perform in San Jose. Actually, we were booked twice. Yeah. And both times was a disaster. One of them was kind of good. Yeah. Okay. This is my experience meeting, first time meeting some Norteños. <laughs> okay. Um, it so happens that at that time, I wasn't too familiar with that area out there in San Jose. Yeah. So I wore a blue sweater, some blue Ben Davis, some blue Nike Cortez. I had a blue, uh, I, if I'm correct, I think I had a blue alley hat or my blue scanless hat. But I, I used to have a blue bandana hanging out of my back pocket. Yeah. Just, you know, como un pañuelo, you know, yeah. like my dad used to wear. And um, high seas in the in the, in the uh, dressing room, well, hotel. And I tell him, hey man, I'm gonna go get something to eat. I'm hungry, dude, before we perform, we gotta go. Now the promoter after sound check, giving us some tickets. He goes, I don't know if you guys know anybody, but I got some tickets, but the show sold out. These are the last of them if you want. And I said, I'll take them. First thing I thought, I'll, I'll sell them, you yeah. know? And he gave me 10 tickets and uh, uh, they were all obviously thinner than this, yeah. but it had our picture in it. Mm -hmm. We were performing with Lighter Shader Brown and uh, if I believe possibly maybe like Brotherhood Creed, but it was another group yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah, I did a few with Lighter Shader. Yeah. So, and, and this, uh, um, this, um, it wasn't even a, a nightclub. It was a big, big hall. Uh, it looked almost like a boxing arena because the the, the stage was in the middle. So yeah. we had to walk through the crowd. Okay. And so I told High C, I'm going to go get something to eat. We go. Uh, well, I go by myself. I walk one block. I, I find a Taco Bell. And I said, let me just stop there. Yeah. I'm looking up. Okay. Looking at the menu. Uh, let me get a burrito supreme. Let me get three tacos uh, and a large Coke. And as I'm looking up, I noticed that the glare on the menu yeah. turned red, like completely red. So I turned around and I saw about 10 to 12 guys just dressed in all red. Uh, Chicano dudes. Yeah. Possibly maybe one black, if I'm correct, or a, maybe a dark-skinned Mexican dude. And I thought these guys were bloods. Okay. And I'm looking at him and one guy walks up to me and he gets right in front of me and he goes, where are you from? And I said, what? <laughs> Trying to buy time. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And he goes, yeah, where are you from? And I said, um, well, I might as well just go for broke. And I said, I, I'm from LA. And he goes, what you doing over here? And I said, uh, well, we're performing. And I thought about the tickets. Yeah. And I said, well, he, look, check it out. And I showed him the tickets and I go, we're performing it. And then the guy goes, what are you performing? And I thought I was done. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. You know, and uh, I go, well, that's me right there on the ticket. It was a high C cover. Yeah, yeah. it was a yeah. high C cover. And uh, since I was on the cover, it was on the, the yeah. ticket. So one of the guys from back of him goes, oh, those are the tickets that we couldn't buy. They sold out. He said, uh, you're wow. performing there. And I said, yeah, I go, that's me right there. And he says, can we have these? And I said, well, yeah, if you guys want to go, go ahead yeah. and go. I'm like, okay, cool, man. Thanks, bro. Thanks, bro. I said, all right, cool. Let me get my food. Uh, uh, I'll see you guys later. I just grabbed my food. Yeah. Got the hell out of there. Okay. <laughs> so we show up to perform. High C's on, up on stage. I'm playing uh, instrumental Atomic Dog. He's hyping up the crowd. And it is just a sea of red. There's a San Jose. Yeah. Okay. He thought they were all bloods. <laughs> 
You know, he told me, Tony, stop the music, stop the music. And I stopped the music and he goes, look at this crowd. This crowd is beautiful. Don't you love this color? And I'm over here like, you yeah. know, stop. We performed, we rocked it though. But I told him, hey dude, those weren't bloods, homie. Those were Norteños right there, bro. And they yeah. were about to beat my ass at Taco Bell. <laughs> he thought it was hilarious, you know. But that was my first encounter yeah. with some Norteños in San Jose. So, uh, uh, um, but <laughs> did you ever run into any of those type of crowds uh, when you performed as far as from our from side? No. No? No. Okay. Because I know no. you said the yeah. majority of the shows you did it were pretty much... Yeah, I had never... I mean, I'm sure that would have happened if I would have ever performed in San Diego or Los Angeles or, yeah. but I, I never did. I never got booked. I never, you know, a lot of times, you know, like at that time, you know, like, like the East Coast, what I noticed growing up, they had their own rap circles. It's, they almost function as if no one else existed. Yeah. Either you were East Coast or, and that was it. Anything else was just country. Right. So I guess in a sense, it was kind of the same where I was at. You know, everybody, we were just rapping the experiences that we were right. living, you know, the things that we were living. And um, I think I think it was more of this this blind, like blinders on, you right. know, I, I didn't need um, other markets. You know, that's that's the way I thought. I didn't need other markets as long as I, I'm selling here and, and right. doing concerts here and doing shows here. So, OK, yeah. Uh, now you dropped that album. OK, yeah. it goes nationwide. Yeah. What comes next? Uh, that was a one album deal with Sunset Boulevard. After that, John Barunda said, hey, I'm going to start a label on myself. Why don't you come with me? I'll release all of you guys. We'll do a, a Dark Room Familia album, and then we'll do solo albums of each of you. So he's trying to build catalog. Right. And um, because he he had to hook up with distribution at the time. Yeah. So we're like, sure, let's do it. And our nationwide status just continued after that with him. Okay. You know, and he pretty much released almost, I think, almost everybody in the group as solos, did a Dark and Familia album, and um, we decided to move on from there. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, when you say everybody else, who was everybody else? Do you recall? Uh, DJMT. Okay. Him. He, I brought him along, and, and he released an album. Uh, Duke, which is one of the brothers. Okay. He did an album. Uh, man. I bet you there's people out there that know the albums more than I do. Like, it's, it's been okay. a long time, man. Right. You know? Okay. Now, I know there were Duke and Crooked. Yes. Okay. And were they, were they, they were also, you mentioned Duke yeah. and Crooked. Was he also a part of... Um, yeah, yeah. They were both artists okay. also. Yeah. Okay. And so now, uh, at what year did that album uh, interview with the Chicano drop? Do you recall? That's what John Brenda was explicit in her Okay. Thing. That one came out, and I want to say 94, 95. Okay. And yeah. how did that album do for you? Well, I mean, John Burinda probably wouldn't tell me exactly how, <laughs> many, how that album did, but... Uh, He'll say it did okay, right? Yeah, but everywhere I went, because I would go to different states where there was huge pockets of, of Latinos, they knew who I was. Outside of LA, like I said, I, I just, I would just kind of you know, bypass Los Angeles and then from Phoenix to Tucson to, I mean, any other Southwestern state, um, you know, they knew who I was. Right, right. So, and and well, well, why did you title that album Interview with the Chicano? I thought that was pretty interesting, you know, so I've been yeah, wanting to I ask was a you. huge fan at that time of that, the uh, Anne Rice 
and she wrote Interview with the Vampire. Okay. And I thought that was very intriguing of that movie. I remember the way it started out in San Francisco. I don't know if you remember that movie yeah, or not. Yeah, of course. It was in San Francisco where, um, was it Christian Slater? The character Christian Slater interviews a vampire in this building in San Francisco. And I'm like, well, I'm close to Frisco. I'm close to the city. So I'm going to call it an interview with the Chicano. That's kind of just influenced mm. by that. Okay. Uh, um, now, out of all these albums so far that have been that have dropped yeah. uh, from yourself, which one would you say was your best or your favorite one? Is there one that stands out? <laughs> well, I'm a little biased right now because I did release a Christian one. Okay. Yeah, I released a full-blown Christian one in 2013. Okay. But aside from that, right. I would say the last one I did before going to prison, which okay. was uh, Engrave These Words on My Stone. Okay. Uh, I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and um, they said that album was the only was the album that you can tell that you were very conflicted within yourself, which was true. Right. Because the other stuff, I was young, I was dumb, I was just saying whatever I felt like saying. Um, but by this time, this album, I think I was already thirty, thirty maybe thirty one. Okay. And I was really tired of the life. I, I I thought I was building an empire and really I had built a prison around me. And I, you know, I, I was, because I wasn't just a rapper. I mean, I was out there doing this stuff. I was doing dirt. I was selling dope. I was just out there. Right. And um, I just yesterday, I can't remember who it was, you know, but they said, I can hear that in that album because there was a realness and a grittiness to it. Right. And when I hear that album now, I, I, I've listened to it with my wife. I'm like, man, I, I'm crying out for God on that album. It's crazy because right. now looking back, Right. It, it, that whole album sounds like I'm crying out. Now, engrave these words on my stone. Back then, yeah. what would those words have been on your on your stone? Do I you, think <laughs> that's it's a while back, but that's right. a good thought. It's a good question. Um, I think it, it, everything... I, I did this album cover before that, and I'm going to answer that. This album cover was called uh, uh, What Have I Become? And on the album cover, I'm looking at my, ref my reflection, and it was my old self, kind of like with the brown baño and some uh, Chicano history books, and I was like in a Pendleton. But then on this side, I have like gold on and, and, and necklace and leather jacket, and yes. you know, and I was literally saying, what have I become? Like, you know, I started this thing out as somebody that cared for my culture and my raza, and now I became somebody that I was selling pounds of meth to my people. Like, what have I become? You know, so on that album, engraved these words on my stone, I think it was, I didn't, I didn't know who I was anymore. Did I love my people or did I hate my people? You know, and I think it would be something like that. I, I don't know any specific words of right, what right. would have been on that stone, okay. you know? Okay. Um, well, we're going to hold that thought and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some questions that some fans want me to ask you. Uh, pretty much two questions. And then we're going to talk about you going uh, or being incarcerated. We're yeah. going to touch on a little bit on that because I think it's important for people to know uh, there's so much for us to cover that we possibly cannot do it all in one, but we're going to try. And then uh, we're going to talk about uh, what you're doing now 
what you're going to be doing and where can people reach you or whatnot. Yeah. You know. So once again, uh, Rodian Radio, episode 31. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm having an interview with the Chicano, uh, David Rocha, uh, formerly known as Sir Dino. And we'll be back after this 10 minutes. So call somebody, text somebody, and definitely slap the hell out of somebody. Let, tell them to wake up because a positive message is coming. We'll be back in 10 minutes. Take us away, Johnny Boy. In the city, city of Wilmington, we keep it rocking. So come on, shake, shake it for me, Kelly. Welcome back, everybody, to Rodian Radio, episode 31. We're going to go ahead and cannonball right back into this. Uh, so once again, David Rocha, formerly known as Dino, thank you for coming. I greatly appreciate it. Came a long way, and believe me, I'm very thankful and honored to have you here in my studio. So now, um, uh, there's so much that we, yeah. that we can talk about. You know, we're going to try to take our time, and whatever we can cover, we're going to cover. Uh, I know there was a fan that, well, actually several fans that asked me to ask you about a group breakup between Crooked and Duke. What was all that about? If you can give it to us, possibly in, in a nutshell. You know, a lot of things happened when I got locked up, actually. Okay. Um, during the time when Dark Room took off uh, with John Barunda, with Sunset Boulevard, and then we moved on to uh, a label in the Bay Area okay. called Dog Day Records, and they were putting out a lot of the Bay Area artists, a lot of the big ones, the heavy hitters out there, so we were part of that roster. Um, over that time, there's some people that left. There's some people that I'm a slow builder, man. I'm like, I want to build slow because the slower I build, the more I, I get to the point where I want to get the most uh, percentage on my records. I don't want to go to a label that's going to give me pennies. Right, right. And I used to say that. And some of the artists, they just wanted the fame. They just wanted, they want it now. You know what I mean? I'm like, who cares about fame? You know, I, I'd rather th sell 5,000 CDs and make all the profit than to sell 200000 for pennies. For pennies, you know? exactly. And uh, some of the artists didn't agree with that, and slowly some had left, you know. But when it wasn't until I got locked up um, that it kind of fell apart. Okay. Yeah, so that had nothing to do with me. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Now, one thing that I will say this, and a lot of these guys here that are Chicano rappers out here in this area, will possibly never admit because of where you were from yeah. at one point, okay? Uh, they, we talk amongst each other, and we all admit that you, Darkroom Familia, were ahead of their time when it came to making movies. Yeah. Because nobody out here was making movies. Mm -hmm. You guys did, uh, uh, I remember the first one, Penitentiary Chances, mm -hmm. okay? I I'll be honest with you. I thought that was hilarious as hell. You <laughs> yeah. know, uh, I, I, yeah. I'm gonna tell you what blew me away. When yeah. you have that uh, that one white boy, yeah, all oh, these dumb webbacks will do anything yeah. for pennies. That was hilarious, yeah. dude. Yeah. It, you know, cause I just didn't believe him. Then you had that other goofy white boy yeah. sitting right next to him. And then you guys were putting in work. I thought that was cool, you know? I mean, I, you know, I thought it was cool, you know? Uh, yeah. You looking back at that, <laughs> what do you think, man? Do, do you laugh yeah. at that now or what? The movie's cheesy. Right. But here's the thing, right? At that time, Master P came out, and he did this straight-to-VHS movie. I don't even remember the name of it. Right, right. But it just went crazy, right? So then we were really into movies. I'm still a movie collector. Yeah, same here. Yeah, so the two brothers, the Kiros brothers, they're like, man, let's film a movie. <laughs> like, what do you mean film a movie? Like, 
I'm a rapper. What are you talking about? No, let's film a movie. And they started getting into figuring out how to rent a camera and how to use a camera, a 16 millimeter film. And, right. and we're like, we're going to put this movie together, man. And I was like, I guess, you know, whatever. And they're like, no, but you're going to star in it. I was like, I'm not no actor. What do you mean I'm going to star in it? You know, and basically it was like this. It was like, listen, we are now at this point, there's other other rappers coming up. We got to do something different. We got to do something further. So we have an opportunity here. Let's film a movie. And what happens if you are the main actor, it makes you bigger than life because we don't have access to MTV. We don't have access to that stuff, but we have access to put a movie out. And I'm like, well, let, let's see if it works. You know, we had no idea what we were doing. Right, right. I had no, no, nobody told me nothing about acting, you know, and, uh, but we put it out and it just blew up. It, it really did uh, it was very well. It was crazy. It was crazy. And then after that, we did a second full feature because that was a short film, like 20 yes. minute movie. Yes. You know? And then we did a second movie. And by the second one, we had Jesse Borrego in it from Blood In, Blood Out. So we learned the mistakes we made on the first one. Don't get me wrong. There's mistakes in the second, third, fourth, and fifth movie. But each time you're going to learn. And this time we're like, let's put let's put a big name, a big name to us. Did you guys have a budget or this was just your own we money? We had a budget. We had a budget. Okay. Yeah. And it was a very small budget, very humble budget. But nevertheless, we talked to Jesse Borrego. Those, a lot of people probably know who he is. A guy in Blood In, Blood Out. The artist. The artist in yes. Blood In, Blood Out. Uh, he's from San Antonio. And he agreed to come down. I had nothing to do with that. I'm just like, it's these brothers and they got a hold of it. And I'm like, sure, I'll act in it, you know, because I saw my record sales going up. All of our sales were going up. So then we released that. And what was, what was awesome about it is that one, um, I, if I believe, I could be wrong. I don't remember maybe if it was that one or the next one started getting distribution at, at a, a Hollywood video and uh, mm. Blockbuster Video. It could have been the next one after that, though. Right, okay. But it opened the door. And what happened was I started getting recognized for the acting, not even for my music. And I'm just like, this is crazy. Wow. You know, and it just took off from there. Did you ever take any acting classes or was just straight from the street to the camera? Yeah, I don't know what I was doing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? A lot of rappers don't know what the hell they're doing. And they really, they just mumble today in today's yeah. music and they hit. Yeah, a lot of people will be like, you know, like they'll they'll say stuff. Man has, you know, a cheap movie, this and that. Well, how many you got? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and um, exactly. that's kind of my attitude back then, you know, and um, it was just, it was, it was fun, to be okay. honest with you. It was a lot of fun. So by the time, from the time you started making movies to the time you got incarcerated, how many movies did you release? Eight. Eight movies? Yeah. Yeah, wow. I, I starred in eight movies. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, do people still recognize you like, hey, you're so-and-so? All the time. Really? All the time. Wow. And you just ask my wife. <laughs> now, does it ever bother you that people still refer to you as Sir Dino? No, it doesn't bother me. It actually gives me an opportunity to share what I'm doing now. Okay. And I always, that's the way I see it. You know, anytime somebody approaches me or somebody, and I get approached all the time. You know what I mean? And right. I'm just like, well, yeah, this is what I do now, though. You know? Okay. Now, uh, let, let, let me give a shout out to Chicano Style TV. Yeah. Okay. I talked to him today. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the reason why I want to give him a shout out is because uh, before me and you were ever in contact, yeah, I was just kind of combing through his Instagram, yeah. okay, and then uh, um, I saw some of his uh, interviews or some of his clips. Mm -hmm. So I went to his page and I ran across yours, yeah, and I stopped at the part when you were talking about being set up, 
yeah. and incarcerated. Yeah. I stopped there. Then I started reading Gesserdino, Gesserdino, Gesserdino. I see. Right. So then I thought, okay, let me get it. And then I'm going to take the time to ask you yeah. what happened at that time that led you to prison? Well, you know, there's this, there's this thing that people say called, they call people studio gangsters. Right. I never got that memo. <laughs> I was really out there just being foolish. I was out there. I was just gangbanging, selling dope, um, whatever. I was just doing it. And I was rapping about it. I would rap about moving pounds from this city to that, that city because I was really rapping the stuff I was living. Right. You know, and obviously that caught the attention of, of you know, task force and gang task force and and I'm over here, you know, me and my friends, my crew, you know, we're out spending money and, you know, have nice cars and, and this and that. So um, I wasn't very discreet about it, you know, and just it reached a certain point where like I'm referring back to that album cover where I said, what have I become? It reached a certain point that I remember my mother. Uh, I was at her table and she said, where's the David at that I raised? who are you? Cause I don't recognize my son anymore. You know? And I'm like, he was weak. I said, I'm Dino. Like literally like in my head, you know, um, I just went full blown because I had premonitions of dying young. I had premonitions that I get shot at a concert. I had premonitions that, that some, that I wasn't going to live very much longer. So I made this thing in my head. I said, well, then I'm going to go all out. I'm going to say whatever I want to say on records. I'm going to say whatever. I would I would almost start riots at concerts. I'd be up there on stage with the gun in my waist. I was strapped. I had homeboys that were strapped. We, I didn't care. And I took on the mentality to the point where I would be like that, even around my family, even around my loved ones. It was just, it was, I'm, I'm going to just do or die. I used to say in my songs, I'm, I'm going to ride till the wheels fall off. And I meant it at that time. You know, and uh, um, it just, it got, you know, I, I did this CD, um, it got banned. And what was the title of this? That CD? one, it was G-U-N. G-U-N. Yeah, and, and that, was, that was a Norteño CD that I did. Yeah, for people that may not know what G-U-N means. What, what At that time, because the first cassette I had was G-U-N Generation of uh, uh, Under Nation. Okay. This time it was called Generation of United Norteños. Okay. And I understand. That's why I, I get. I, I read some of the the comments, and and I sometimes there's a lot of hate in it. And um, it's so weird because I don't even know that person anymore, who I was, yes. and, and my and my my mentality. But at the same time, when I read these comments, like even on the way over here, I was having my wife read them to me as I'm on the freeway. And um, I understand. Right. I get why they. They're like, how, how dare he go, you know, to L.A.? How dare he go on your show? And, I, and I'm just like, you know what? I don't, I don't blame him. I get it. Because I was very hateful. I was mad at, mad at the world, mad at everything. Yes. You know? And this was my mentality. Cops would pull me over. They would, they would search my car with my kids. They'd take my kids out of their car seats. So even that anger grew even worse. And, and it got to the point where it was just a big joke to me. I remember one detective pulled me over and the dog, they t the dog was just going off, going crazy, popped the trunk and he just, it was barking at a certain section in my mind. I literally had two pounds of meth there, like literally 30 minutes before that.
And here I am joking because the dog, they're trying to figure out why this dog's going crazy. And I'm like, this is how blatant I was. I told the office, the detective, I said, oh, should have got me 30 minutes ago. You're a little too late. And we would just have this. Remember that movie Heat? Yes. That conversation between De Niro and Al Pacino. Al Pacino, yes. It was like that with, with uh, these two detectives and Tracy. We would see each other. Tracy was small. I'd see him at the gym. We'd see each other at the bank depositing money. And it was this little, like, I know what you're doing. I'm going to catch you one day, David. And I'm like, we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know, and that was the life. You know what I mean? And, and on top of that, being a rapper, being recognized, going and doing shows and all this and that. So anyways, uh, I got indicted in 2000, 2000 to 2001. Uh, it was called Operation Black Widow. They indicted a whole bunch of people. I was pulled into that. And then three years later, while I was fighting that federal case, because I was the FBI, fighting that federal case, um, I got a, 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 on video surveillance or whatever, uh, selling to somebody. And that person was working with the feds. And this person, I trusted him for like 13 years. I knew his kids. He knew my kids. I knew his dad. He knew my parents. And he was wearing a wire. And this was in uh, December of 2003 when this happened. And that helped them build the grand, uh, a federal indictment toward me. And three months later, that's when I was arrested. Okay. Yeah. Now, you're arrested. And uh, if I'm correct, you're taken into custody. Yeah. You're found guilty, if I'm correct. Or you, yes. Yeah, and pleaded guilty. Pleaded guilty. Yeah, they had me on, on video. And and uh, surveillance uh, on he was wearing a wire. Well, well, well uh, how many years did they sentence you for? I got an eight year sentence. Eight year sentence. Now, yeah. if I'm correct, I know you did one of those years in solitary. Yeah. Okay. And this is the part that I want to get to. Okay. Because this is where you're at today. Yeah. Okay. If I'm correct, when you're in solitary, you repented. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What brought that about? For that last album I did, like I talked earlier, engrave these words on my stone. I was already tired. I thought I built a kingdom, but I built a prison. I was sick and tired of the sales. I was tired. I, I had children now. I felt like I was on this roller coaster. I've said it many times. I said I felt like I was on this roller coaster that wouldn't stop. It just got worse and worse and worse and faster. And I didn't know what to do. It was already my third arrest. A lot of people say, oh, all of a sudden you get arrested and you run to church. This is my third felony. You know, this is this wasn't like all of a sudden I get arrested. And you know what I mean? I was just tired. I'm like, man, a third time again in a holding cell again. And this time, you know, they got me on video and they're talking about 23 years of life. And I'm just like, what am I going to do, man? I, I'm over here trying to please everybody. What about my children? And, and that's, you know, and then I thought back to, to my parents and everything they had went through and everything my dad went through working hard as, as, as a farm worker, as a laborer, and how shameful for me to make easy money, you know, and it was just very, I was just tired, you know, and like I said, my dad accepted Christ when he, when I was eight and my dad was an alcoholic until that day. I still remember that day. When he just said, I'm tired, and he was, it was at a church service, and he went up and surrendered his life to the Lord, never drank again. To this day, my dad's still alive. My mom is still alive. So I'm in the cell. It was in Sacramento County. And I remember thinking, 
I'm tired, but I can't change. I don't know how to change. And, and I've always heard people say, oh, man, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, or a bunch of this, a bunch of that. And I'm just like, God, I sure don't want to be no hypocrite. So either you fix this inside of me or just let me be. Because I ain't trying to be fake. I wasn't fake in the streets. I'm not going to be fake in the church. But God, if you are real and if you could really change me, then please do it. Because I don't know what else to do. I have no other way to turn. I don't know. I don't know what to do. You know, I can't change myself. I just, I'm full of anger, full of hate, full of all this stuff. And I need to get it out because it's destroying me like a cancer. And that's, it was there where I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ right there. And I said, God, it, it was crazy, right? Because I'm like, either you change me or I'm going to just, I'm going to just function as a homeboy and just ride this thing out. And it was crazy because in, it's like, and I don't know how to describe it, man, but have you ever wore weights on your ankles? Or remember those weights <laughs> you used to put? Used to jog, yes. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, hours later, you take them off, and you all of a sudden, you feel light. light. Yeah. I felt like weights just coming off. And I'm just like, is this real? Is this real? You know what I mean? And, and I did have a lot of hate toward SoCal, Southern California. I did. In Sacramento County, they split you up. They have you separate because you can't even be in the same pods. It's just on and cracking in them. Yeah. So I remember that day I repented. And I felt weight come off of me. But see, I knew the truth test was when I saw my enemy, when I saw somebody, because I would see somebody in Walmart. I see somebody at a gas station. It was like on. It was on and crack. It was like, like a pit bull. So I remember that day. The next day I was going to court. And when you go to court, the elevators are in the middle of Sacramento County. All northerners are on this side. Southsiders are on this side. But we had to go to the same hallway to go down the elevator, go to court. And the craziest thing, I remember being taken out. They shackled us up. And I saw a whole line of Southsiders. And I didn't feel no anger. I didn't feel nothing. And I remember I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> The change was so fast that I couldn't comprehend it myself. But that moment, I remember that moment for me. I don't care what anybody said. I knew God was real because there's, there's no way I will, I will. It's indoctrinated in you. It's yes. told in you. It's taught in you, you know, and, and it's like, and then all of a sudden I feel nothing, nothing of anger, nothing of hate, nothing. And, and it's been like that ever since. Yeah. And some people can't comprehend it. And some people can't understand it. Right. You know, and, and that's why. So when I see the comments and people say oh, this or that, I, I get it, man. Right. Because I did say some bad stuff. I did say some horrible things, mm -hmm. you know, but it's like you're talking about somebody that, uh, that no longer exists anymore. You know, the thing is that when people mention your name, they associate you with who you were in the past, you know, yeah. 20 years ago or whatnot. Yeah. That's what they associate you with. Now, uh, uh, you know, and, and I know you can never please anyone and, and you probably never will please anyone. I yeah. can never please anyone. Uh, um, here's the thing, though. The first thing that people say, and I know you heard it time and time again, this guy goes to jail and he runs and hides behind the cross yeah. or he hides, hides behind the Bible because I've known dudes that have gone to jail mm -hmm. and right away they're a born again Christian overnight yeah. because they're scared. Yeah. They're scared. I, they cause, I saw it all the time. Yeah. They cause so much damage out here. I remember I had one dude call me. At my house that I knew. Yeah. Hey, man, does so-and-so, does he go to church? <laughs> Was he a Christian out there? You know? And I'm like, dude, I don't know, man. 
as I, I don't know, yeah. find that out for somebody else, you know, but that's, and I'm sure you've gotten that a lot. Yeah. You know, I'm right. sure you got In the beginning, that. I mean, I've been out 10 years. Yeah. I'm going stronger than ever for the Lord. You know what I mean? So it's like that to me, time throws that out the window. Right. You know, because like I said, my first thing was, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be fake. God, if this is fake, I am not going to act like a Christian. Either something happens inside or I'm right. not going to do it. You know, so, but yeah, I have been hit with that. I have seen comments with that, uh, but there's nothing you can do. Right. All I'm right. going to do is live my life. You know, right. it's something my daughter told me when I was getting released, my oldest daughter. And she said, she, you know, it was, she was scared because we see people do the Christian thing in jail. And she's like, she had this Christian dad in prison after six years, and I'm about to get out literally like a month or two before that. And she's like, Dad, I'm I'm actually scared of you getting out. Because she knew how I was. Like, she's been there when, when there's been shootouts and stuff. Yeah. She had memories of this, memories of me telling her to hide under the bed. Because just, you know, bullets are flying. Right. So she's like, Dad, I'm scared of you getting out. And I'm like, I remember distinct, just like, as clear as day, I told her, Mija, Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. I'm going to come out. I'm, 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 you're going to have your dad back. Mia, I'll die for you. And she says, see, that's the problem, dad. I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me. And that broke me, man. Yeah. That broke me because all my life was pleasing the homies. What about my children? You know, so when anybody says, oh, you let the homies down, I said, that's okay because I'm not letting my kids down now. Let them have let them have David now. You had Sir Dino. You had that. And whatever for whatever that means, whatever that you know, I, I don't know. But the remaining years of my life, let it be toward my children. Whether I live to be old or whether I live tomorrow. It doesn't you know what I mean? I wanna know that I gave my kids that life today. Yes. Yes. And that's what it comes down to. Because that's who's gonna be there, bro. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome story. I have a question. I'm gonna we're gonna ask you something that you probably have never been asked before. Okay. okay? And uh, now, say I'm somebody off the street, and you're talking to me about God, yeah. and you share with me your testimony that you just shared. Yeah. So now I ask you, okay, why Christianity? Why not Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism? Why not Islam? Why not? You know, being a Jehovah's Witness. Mm -hmm. Why Christianity? What was it about the Bible that intrigued you or that drew you to okay. it? Good question. Um, I think the first thing people are going to say was, obviously, he was influenced because his mom and dad were Christian. That's the first thing people would run to. And I want to say this, is even though my mom and dad were Christian, my dad has a third grade education. So he's not one to study the Bible. He's not a scholar. He's, not, he's a simple man. You know, he loves God, loves his family. And, and that's it. So when I dove into the scriptures, this is exactly what I said. Okay, Lord, since I'm going to follow after you and I felt that change, I'm like, I'm going to learn everything there is about this because this is the way I am. I can't do something halfway. I got to learn everything about this. Yes. That's, that's just, you can ask my wife. She knows it. You know, if I get interested in something, I'm going to learn 360 everything. <laughs> Yes. So I wanted to understand what happened to me because I felt that stuff leave. I saw these people that are supposed to be my enemies. I don't feel this hate anymore. So I need to get to the bottom of this. I need to make sense out of this. And what happened was in reading the Bible and being in solitary, I didn't have 
a denomination influence me or anything like that. It was just me and the Bible. And, and I've always been a reader. So I have a good understanding, you know, and I just as reading and honestly, some of the stuff dismantled even my parents beliefs of what they thought Christianity was. Hmm. So it's not like I'm just falling into what, you know, and, and after a while, I'm like, I start questioning stuff that, that they had believed. And I'm like, well, the Bible says, you know, I don't care what your pastor says. What does the Bible say here? You know, and I became a student of the Bible. And here's the thing. Here's what really got me. And this is what a lot of people don't know. A lot of people think, well, it's just a book. It's just a book that's been changed over the years and this and that. Well, I'm like, you're, you're talking out of ignorance and you're talking out of something that you probably heard somebody say, so you automatically took it as fact. But here's the thing. If you took the Bible away and completely banished every single Bible, what would we know about God now? There are letters that exist right now between, between emperors, between governors of that time of the Roman Empire talking about this man named Jesus. There are letters that are nothing to do with Christianity. Matter of fact, they're talking bad about this guy that goes around doing miracles. They're talking bad about this guy that has followers because supposedly he rose again from the dead. They have all of this documentation. So even if the Bible were just completely done away with, thrown into a pit and don't even exist, and nobody would have a Bible anymore, we would still have the story of this person named Jesus that was born, that he did miracles, that he preached, that he thousands of people followed him, he was crucified and he was worshipped as God because he was raised again after three days. This is stuff people don't know about. For whatever reason, it's easier for people just to throw stuff out there. Now, the whole thing about the Bible, they'll say, well, it's been changed. It's been changed. Well, th that was a fine argument until the 40s. Because in the 40s, what happened was there's these, these uh, uh, they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, this little shepherd, this is known. You can just look it up. They found hundreds of transcripts of the Bible. So people that didn't believe the Bible, they're like, yes, finally, we have real documents and we're finally going to show you that your Bible's been changed. This is the final proof. This stuff was written at the, at the, at the earliest, at the late, it was a hundred years before Christ. Okay. So they said, finally, we're going to, we're going to just crush this right now. Yes. And as they opened these scrolls, and it took years because it was so brittle, they realized that it was like 99.9% .9 accurate. The only inaccuracies were the fact that some names were just said wrong. So nobody can say the Bible's been changed. The same Bible we have today is the same one that was there at that time. Now, the last thing I would say is this. I don't know about other religions. I remember... Uh, uh, in federal prison, I was with this Muslim guy. He was right next to me. It was interesting because it was me, this guy, this gangbanger dude, this Muslim dude, and a Jewish guy. <laughs> All in the same little quarter there. It was it a was, uh, dorm living. And we'd have some interesting conversations. And one time I was having this conversation with the Muslim guy. Real nice guy. You know what I mean? Real, really nice guy. Very humble. And um, we had this great conversation. And I told him, I said... Uh, he basically was saying, well, you guys don't have the original Bible. It's been changed and this and that. And I said, well, hold on. I said, the Quran wasn't written until 600 years after the Bible. And when the Quran was written, paper was already invented. So you can't say you have the original transcripts and we don't because the Bible wasn't written on paper. So, of course, it wouldn't last. But what we do have is copies of copies of copies that were sent out in different languages all over. I said, but anyways, 
I said, we can go back and forth on this all day. I said, but here's the thing. Let me ask you, I told them. What do you feel different about you? He's like, what do you mean? I said, I see you praying. You, you do it very, you know, you're, you're very loyal with your prayers every single day. What do you feel inside? I said, because we can argue back and forth about the Quran and the Bible, but you weren't there and I wasn't there. Neither of us were there. So we're going to go just in circles. So what happened in your life? What has God done in your life? What has Allah done in your life? Because I will tell you what he's done in mine. And that's all I have. Nobody can take away my testimony. And he just stayed. And he didn't know what to say. You know, I have seen too much. I became a Christian in 2004. What is that? How many is that? 16 years now. Longer than my rap career. But yet people want to label me as Sir Dino. I have seen too much. I have seen too many lives change. I have seen people physically healed when I've prayed for them. I have seen too much that to this point, I'm just... You know too much about them to doubt them. Exactly. Exactly. There's, there's, it's just too much, man. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's an amazing story. Well, actually, testimony. You know, you know, David, I may look dumb, but I'm not dumb. Okay. <laughs> you don't look dumb, bro. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me just share something. I'll take about two minutes. Okay. Uh, and I'm just going to add to what you were sharing. Okay. okay. Uh, 1991. No, actually, I remember the day, September 23rd, 1990. Met a man, very smart man, and he introduced me to history. Mm. History. My first book that I read, uh, it was an ancient history book on Egypt, mm -hmm. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and eventually Israel. Yeah. Okay. And I read all these books, ancient history given to me. And uh, eventually he ended up giving me an old book. He tells me, yeah, I'm going to give you an old book. And I said, how old is it? Because he told me he had books from like the 1700s. He was a book collector. Wow. And I said, wow. And I'm thinking to myself, he's going to give me a nice book. Yeah. Oh, heck, he's going to be worth some money. And he gives me a 1611 King James Bible. <laughs> okay. And I said, how old is this book? And he said, uh, it dates back to day one. <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. So then I remember I opened it up in the beginning. God said. Yeah. And I said, what the heck? And he said this, do not read it as a religious book. Read it as a history book. That's what he told me. Mm -hmm. I said, all right, cool. No problem. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Began to read it. Yeah. I went to the New Testament. Uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd, Curry. I could keep going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then I brought it back to him. And then he says, are you done? And I said, yeah. And he goes, keep reading it. I'm going to give you this book. And I said, all right, but I already read it. And he says, what stood out from you, you know, from this book? Yeah. And I said, well, you know, uh, I read about Assyria, Egypt, Persia, you know, mm -hmm. Babylon. They're all in there, you know. But the mo the ones that intrigued me the most was actually the history of Israel. Yeah. So I began to read a little bit more on the history of Israel. Uh, um, 70 AD, when Israel was dispersed to the four corners of the earth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when... Uh, um, um, uh, May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation again. Yeah. Uh, June 7, 1967, uh, Jerusalem was restored as the capital of Israel mm -hmm. again, even though today, um, which I'm going to call it, uh, Tel Aviv is the capital yeah. of Israel. But we know that, I guess, according to the Bible, Jerusalem is. Yeah. Okay. Then um, 
I began to share with him because he, he was quizzing me if I actually read the yeah. book. 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. Uh, the Old Testament in Hebrew is called the Tanakh. Uh, uh, um, the Torah is the first five books, uh, you know, uh, that Moses wrote. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he was quizzing me. Uh, the New Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, except certain portions of Esther and Daniel were written in Aramaic, mm -hmm. which is just a, pretty much a sister language of the Hebrew language. I began to study the Hebrew language. Uh, uh, I know a little bit. I know the, the Greek language. So nobody can lie to me. Sometimes I like to look dumb and just sit back and observe <laughs> and let people talk. Yeah. You know, now you may ask me, Tony, do you believe in God? Okay. With me, there are no short answers. Yeah. There are no short. I cannot just give you a yes or no. But here's what I will say. If I look at that picture, I know there was a painter. Yeah. If I look at a building, I know there was a builder. If I look at a car, I know there was a maker. Okay. If I look at a tree, I have to believe that there's a creator. Yeah. Okay. So I believe in intelligent design that, that there is a God that designed everything. Okay. Do I believe that the Bible is true? Absolutely 100%. Okay. Uh, I've never shared that before here on Rodeo yeah. and Radio. People are probably tripping out. They're like, okay, is this a Bible study or what? <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> I don't care. You guys are still tuned in, so bear with me. <laughs> okay, so yes, I do believe. Yeah. Um, I uh, I mean, you know, I mean, if people don't believe it, they could just take their King James 1611 Bible, go to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, and they have the whole scroll of Isaiah. And if you understand Hebrew, you can read the whole book of Isaiah from English to Hebrew and it's all there. Whether people want to deny it or admit yeah. it, it's all there. So, anyways, um, other than that, you appeared on the 700 Club. Yeah, you saw that? Yeah, I saw yeah. that. I yeah. saw that. Okay, and for people that don't know, that's uh, Pat Robertson, if I'm yeah. correct. Pat Robertson, okay. But now, you shared a story on there that I thought was very fascinating. And I want you to share it. Um, you were in solitary. Yeah. And there was an assassination planned or a hit. Yeah, yeah. Can you share that with us? Well, you know, there's a thing. It's funny. I was just telling my wife this, is that back home there was a saying, I'm completely out of the whole gangbanging prison gang thing right now. You know what I mean? But there was a saying back then that said, God might forgive you, but we don't. And in a sense, that that's kind of like... I understood the repercussions of this thing. For people to say that I ran to church because I was scared, to be honest with you, my life has never been threatened more because I'm a Christian. So if I'm going to be scared, it would have been easier just for me to stay the way I was, actually, because I was, you know, I mean, I had a good reputation. Um, I could go anywhere, have my head high, sign autographs. People knew me, have respect. You know, and uh, but the fact is that um, doing this life and living this life has actually brought in something different. So anyways, I'm in solitary confinement. And uh, by this time, people knew that I wasn't functioning anymore, mm -hmm. that I wasn't active anymore. And I was already a Christian by this time for a year and a half. So I got taken to Santa Rita. Santa Rita is, is one of the biggest county jails, huge complex. And um, this active guy got put next to me. Now, in solitary confinement, they say 23 and 1. You're supposed to get out one hour a day, 23-hour lockdown. But this pod was so big that by the time my hour came, it would be three days later. So really, I'd get one hour every three days. 
So he was in cell one, his door would pop so he could have his hour, he could use the phone or shower, whatever he wanted to do, walk around. After his hour, he locks it in. Next, David Rocha, you wanted your hour? Yeah, then mine pops. So basically, somebody found out that he was next to me, he's active. He gets a wheeler. I don't know if you want to explain what a wheeler is. It's a little tiny micro letter they yeah. do in prison. <laughs> Apparently, he gets a wheeler saying, you need to figure out how to, since you come out right before him, fix your door. So that way, when he comes out, I want you to hit him. Because this dude is not functioning. And he's saying he's a Christian. You know, so he was told this. So he befriends me. He's an OG, veterano dude. He'd been doing state time in prison. And he had he was trying to uh, fight for some motion, so he, they brought him to the county jail. Yes. So this is a straight pinto, man. Yeah. Um, I don't know what prison, he, I don't remember. But he was there for a short time. He gets this, he gets these orders, and that's it. So obviously, here, here's the thing. I don't know how they function down here, but over there, it's your best friend that's going to do something to you. Yeah, yeah. So he starts talking to me and asking me about me me uh, being a christian at that time in his eyes i'm digging my own grave because i'm like yeah man i follow jesus and this and that whatever so i'm digging my own grave in his head because he's like okay this dude's no good you know what i mean because basically anytime you preach christ in there it's considered preaching poison you're, you're you're spreading poison right to me it's spreading light but anyways so he's told that and he's befriending me and next thing you know I started sharing with him and sharing with him and sharing with him. And finally, one day out of nowhere, he, he comes to my cell and he, it's his time to be on his hour. He comes to my cell because my cell had a little window and he was, hey, David, he was, I, I want to talk to you. I was like, yeah, what's going on? He was, uh, I want to apologize. For what? You didn't do nothing. And that's when he told me what his plans were. Hmm. And he goes, I'm supposed to do this. He goes, but. He goes, I want to give my life to Jesus too, man. And right then and there, I led him to the Lord. And um, after that, it was crazy because he had never gotten a visit in years. And when my parents came to visit me, I told my dad about the situation. So my dad pulled him out for a visit. And my mom pulled me out and we both came out on visits. And um, my dad was able to share with him his testimony. You know, and I told him, are you sure you know what you're doing, man? Because you got to go back to state, you know? And he's like, well, then then we'll both die, <laughs> you know? And and for me, that's, that's what this whole thing's about, you know? And you know, there's something that the Bible says that I say all the time where Paul says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in, Christ, but Christ who lives in me. And basically what that means is this, is, and I tell people all the time, Sir Dino's dead. He doesn't exist. So when I see derogatory comments to Sir Dino, I'm like, man, you're talking to a dead person because I'm David Rocha. Yes. I am not that person, you know, and I know people don't like to hear it. And I understand it, you know, at the same, there's fans that say, man, but I, I love your music so much. And I'm like, you know, thank you because that did take artistic, you know, artistry, you know, to do those songs. And, and I get it. I'm not trying to. To completely throw that away i i get it i i understand where you're coming from but understand that that ain't me anymore that's not what i'm about that isn't me anymore you know when i got back i got baptized in, in uh, terminal island which is not too far from here right i got baptized there so i tell people i said sir dino drowned 
What do you mean, Sir Dino drowned? <laughs> he, down, he drowned in the baptismal because Sir Dino went down and David Rocha came up. And that's what I say all the time. Okay. You know, and I know, I understand, I get people, people, that rubs people wrong, and I right. get it, man, but there's nothing I can do. I'm sorry, but this is my life. I got to live my life. Yes. You know, and that's all I can do. Awesome. Awesome. You know, for those of you that are leaving negative comments, obviously we're not going to be able to stop that. But instead of just smearing our name, my name, and your name, you know what? Just pray for us. That's it. If, if we really bother you that bad, then just pray for us. Don't talk about us. Pray for us. Now, moving on, uh, you have not been pastoring now for seven years. Uh, 2011? Nine years. Nine years. Nine yeah. years. And at uh, um, House of Rest. House of Rest. In, in what city? Modesto. Modesto. Okay. Now, you have some books here. Do you, yeah. uh, sh you care to share with us? Um, I know you mailed me this book. Right yeah. Here. Well, what happened was um, my first time I caught a felony was in 99. I got caught with, I think, two ounces of meth. I, they gave me a year, and I did a lot of it on house arrest. So... I didn't have nothing to do, so I, I'm going to write a book. I've always wanted to write a book. I, I'm a reader. Right. You know what I mean? So I wrote this book, Before Christ. This is actually a, um, a, a it's a non-Christian book. It's just, it's just a story. Okay. Um, now, as a Christian, I felt it important to put it out, even though it's not a Christian book, because it's still a story that needs to be told, because it's about a young Chicano being pulled from his culture and gang culture, and he feels pulled between, and I felt that it was very important to to re-release it. So I re-released this. It's an Audible, on it's on Amazon Audible. You, you know, and you can. I'm the one narrating in it. It's an ebook and it's a paperback. This is on Amazon right now. It's anywhere: Barnes and Noble, Walmart.com, Target.com. But because of that, I got approached by somebody at my church, and he says, "I really want to write my story." You know, I need you to help me because he knew about this book. Okay. And this is um, Alfonso Gomez, who's a good friend of mine. So we wrote this. It's He was um, a pastor's son. Crazy story, man. This one is like, actually, these, I'm going to leave it with you. But awesome. um, this one, you can't put it down. And he always told me, he goes, listen, you need to release yours. You need to release yours. There's something else I didn't say. When I was in solitary, you got to program. If you don't program, you'll go nuts in there. When I what I mean by that, you got to literally program every minute, every hour of your of your day in your cell. You will go nuts. You'll lose track of time, and days blend. What I mean, program. Some people get up, they do their exercise, or they get up and clean their cell. Then they eat breakfast, and then they write letters, and then they read. A, you got to have a program. So I said, you know what? I'm going to write my story, and um, I'm going to write my story because even at that time, I knew that. I knew who Sir Dino was. I get it. And I knew people were going to want to know that story. So I said, I better write it in here because it's going to feel different if I write it once I'm out. So I started writing it 220 pages handwritten in prison. And I've held it for 10 years. Well, after doing Alfonso's book and he, him telling me, because he knew about those pages, he encouraged me. He goes, David, you need to bring your book out. And I dusted it off. I brought it out. I'm a better writer now. So I changed a lot because, I, you know, it's got to be better writing. But literally this week just released, and which is this one, Lost in the Storm. Okay. This one is my life story, which I can't tell you everything in an hour or two. Right. This is my life story. This just released on Amazon as an ebook. 
um, as a paperback book. And um, this is my life. It's called Lost in the Storm. I just released this one. This is another guy from our church. He's a um, Dale. He's a Vietnam vet. And he wrote his book. So this is a huge thing that I, that, that I feel huge passion for now. Mm-hmm. People ask me, are you going to produce music? Are you? I said, well, I, I'm, I did do a song. We did the song a year ago. Uh, my wife sings. She, she leads worship at the church. You know, so we've done a song. We did a song together uh, two years ago that those you can find them. You can find them if you want to. If you don't want to pay 99 cents, you can listen to it on YouTube. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because 99 cents is too much. But right. you can go to YouTube, you know, and type in uh, a dino or uh, it's, it's called uh, God is Faithful. Okay. That's a song I did with my wife. Last year, there's two ex-darkroom uh, ex members that go to my church, too, actually. ALG and Young Ant. And we did a song together last year. 2013, I did a whole Christian album, Dino, called uh, Called to Reach the Masses. But right now, my passion is is I want to author books. You know, and somebody said, why, why, why do you go from rapping to authoring books? I said, this is nothing but a long song. You know? Uh, I remember at the time when I used to write raps, I'm like, this was a way to express myself about this subject or this subject for three or four minutes. And after a while, three or four minutes isn't enough to share what it is you want to share. To me, the automatic graduation of writing, writing raps is to write a book. Mm-hmm. These are just songs to me, just 200 page songs. You know, so if, if there's anybody that liked the music, because I used to be a huge storyteller in my raps. That's I think that's what people used to like a lot, because I would just do these scenarios and these stories and take people along a trip. And if you like that, if, if people like that about it back then, then give us a shot. You know, any of these books that I shared and, and if you ain't about the Christian thing, we'll get this one because it still has a good lesson to it. Yeah. You know, but this um, all of these are. On our website, we have a church website. Can I can I share that? Yeah, absolutely. It's www.houseofrestchurch.com. You go to that, you can find all the music I'm talking about. You can find all of these books. You find things about our church. You find things, you know. Um, we have a YouTube channel ourselves. Okay. You know, we have, I think, five or 6,000 subscribers. Uh, my wife and I do a daily devotional every single weekday. Um, we release it at three o'clock in the morning. That way East coast gets in at six when they're getting up for work and we do a little, you know, 30, 40 minute little devotional. We just talk. I'm just real. I'm just real. You know, it's not like this super stuffy Christian. See, <laughs> when people think Christian, they think of that. And I'm like, no, you don't understand, man. When you really see, because I was a student of the Bible, it, it led me to freedom. I didn't come out of street politics to get into church politics. And that's what a lot of people are sick and tired of. A lot of people compare it to that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I ain't talking about the Christianity you're talking about. I'm talking about the Christianity that sets you free. You know, and so we share every single day, Monday through Friday on our YouTube, which is the YouTube channel is just named after me, David Rocha. Okay. Yeah. I, at the time, I didn't, I didn't know what to name it. So I just, you know, when you set up your account, you right. just put your name and it's like, this channel's going to be David Rocha. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm going to have one or two viewers. You know, and now it's, you know, five or 6,000 subscribers. Awesome. So Awesome. So can anybody be expecting any more movies, possibly? Uh, yeah. You, you, that's yeah. what works? Yeah. Okay. We did a Christian film. Okay. Um, that uh, right now I'm actually writing the book for it. And the book is going to come with the movie in it. Okay. So it became a movie first. And now I'm, I felt like, man, 90-minute movie, I want to say more in it. 
You know what I mean? So now I'm going to write the book, but it's going to come with a movie. But it's called Always Always With You. Right now, that movie is free on YouTube, but it's gonna, I'm going to take it down pretty soon. Okay. But right now, if you type in Always With You, official movie, it's a movie that, that I did along with Scott Youngkite. He's another pastor. We wrote it, directed it, edited it. I did everything. We did all, all of it. Wow. Everything, you know, because everything I learned from those other eight films I did in the past. Right. And um, one of the main actors was Jose Rosette. He's done a lot of movies. He's been, he's been like in Walking Dead and just different, a lot of movies here in Hollywood. He was he was in it. AOG was in it, who was one of the dark ex-darkroom guys. And actually my, my, uh, my middle daughter, she's the one that starred in it. Okay. Yeah, and that's called Always With You. So we've been busy, man. Awesome. We've been busy, always busy, because that's... <laughs> I can't be any other way. <laughs> awesome. Now, uh, last thing before we close. Yeah. Okay. If there is a youngster out there listening right now, or eventually listening to this, and he's possibly heading in the wrong direction, in a few short words, what type of message would you give that youngster that's heading in the wrong direction? The first thing I would say is that tomorrow is in promise. Can I look at the camera? When I Absolutely. Start? Johnny, yeah, give me this one right here. Yeah, because I don't know who I'm talking to, and I don't, I don't know you, but here's the thing, is that tomorrow isn't promised. You know, I remember when I was young, this guy, he, he went to a church service, and it was he was he, he felt the stirring, and he came up front, and, and the pastor was like, are you ready to accept Christ? And he said, no, not yet, but I will next week. So this dude, this was in Stockton, this is when I was young. He was all choloed out. He promised he would come next week and dedicate his life to the Lord. The next week came, Saturday night, right before that Sunday service, he walked into a church's chicken. And some enemy saw him, walked in there, and shot him in the face with a shotgun. That was his opportunity. Yes. And he waited too long. So if here's the thing. I don't believe in coincidence. If you are watching this... Especially if you're watching this for the first time, because I, I get, because you have viewers, but if you're watching this for the first time, you're like, why am I even watching this? Maybe it's because of this time right here, right now, this moment right now, is that you don't have to live that life. You don't have to. I, I was in it. I was caught up in it. And here's the thing, that you don't have to live it out. You don't have to live it out. You can change. If I can change, if somebody like me can change, then you can change. You know, the whole, uh, you know, eight years, eight year federal prison sentence, and that got knocked down to six. And, and the things that I had to deal with the, with that and the repercussions of that, not only that, but the repercussions of getting out and even looking for jobs. You know, I got three felonies on my record, and that's the first thing that pops up. I don't even have a, a I can't even write a proper resume because all my life skills were rapping and selling drugs. So I don't even have a good work history to put. And it's, it's the thing, right? Is you, some youngster watching, if you're a young person, that might, might, not, might not mean anything to you because you don't have any kids, you don't have bills, you don't have anything. You're just worried about paying maybe your cell phone or something, whatever. But when children come along and family comes along and that child wants clothes and needs clothes and needs diapers and you got to feed that child and you want to make that child feel safe, what are you going to do? You know, because you're not always going to be a teenager. You're not always going to be in your early 20s. Sooner or later, you're going to be an adult. And the choices you made in those younger years right now that you're making right now are going to shape the rest of your life. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I want to say this, too. If anybody, all you got to do, if you really, truly want to change and don't know how, I want to give you my email. 
and reach out to me. You know, and it's houseofrestchurch at gmail.com. And you know what? If somebody's going to take that email and just cuss me out, you know what you're going to get back? Is you're going to get prayers back for you. That's all you're going to get. My, my wife cracks up because people sometimes just say crazy stuff and I just start giving them life. I speak life into them because here's the thing the Bible says that darkness doesn't comprehend the light. You know, and it's like you can say what you want about Dino, Dino's dead. You know, and if you truly want to change or you don't know how to change, all you got to do is email me. This is what my life work is. Do you understand? This is what I live for. Awesome. Awesome. So houseofrest at gmail.com. Houseofrest at gmail.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I get that wrong earlier? Yeah. House of Rest. House Church. of Rest Church. Man, big mistake. At gmail.com. It's okay. They can rewind yeah. it. Okay. So. House of Rest Church at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. And they can also get these books where? Amazon. Everywhere. Every every platform you can think of. I'm going to do an audible actually when I when I get back. I'm going to start okay. doing the audible for this. Because um, I don't have time to read all the time. So I, I love listening to books. I go to the gym or ride my bike and I listen to books myself. Awesome. This is going to be an audible that I'm going to narrate. But right now you can get this on Amazon um, as an ebook. The ebook is like $3.49. To get the ebook, you can download it. You might say, well, I don't have a, I don't have a, a tablet. Uh -huh. It's all right. Just get the, um, the, the, the Kindle app and you can read it on your phone. $3.49. You know, the paperback is $20. Um, if you have somebody in prison, I want to say this. If you have somebody that's incarcerated that you think would really benefit from this, go to our website. I have a 25% discount for inmates. It has all the thing. It has to go to a prison or a jail or honor farm, but 25% off discount for anybody that's incarcerated. But you can't do that through Amazon. You got to do it through our website at um, www.houseofrestchurch.com. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay. Well, right now I'm going to give you the opportunity to, if there's anybody you want to give a shout out to, say hello to, whatever. Right now you can do that. I now. just want to say hello to our uh, House of Rest family in Modesto, our extended House of Rest family, our viewers from our YouTube. Um, every single one of you guys, you know what I mean? Every single one of you. Uh, and I just want to give a shout out to Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, because it's every day that I live is, is because of him and everything I do now is because of him. And he's given me my life in a way that I never thought I could ever have. And all I want to do now is have other people set free the same way. That's that's it. That's that's my mission, you know. And it's like as I'm driving here and and putting ninety dollars of gas to come and drive over here. That's my whole thing. Is I want to talk with you and share with you my heart and hopefully it reaches somebody else that's watching. That's my payback. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate you coming. Honestly, no words can express on how uh, um, thankful I am that you guys came and drove this far, you know, yeah. from Stockton to to my home, humble home here in the city of Wilmington. And once again, I'm glad you spoke. You spoke your heart. I'm glad you shared. And uh, people now can reach you by email or by Amazon or by YouTube or whatnot. And now they can know everything about David Rocha, formerly known as Dino, who died in Long Beach. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so here's where I give my shout outs. First of all, I want to thank my boy Johnny Boy, uh, my boy DG, uh, uh, Big Daddy Swoles, Big Daddy Swoles. Nobody wants to mess with Big Daddy Swoles, okay? Uh, my son for helping me promote this. And once again, in closing, uh, 
uh, David Rocha, formerly known as Sir Dino, for coming out and chopping it up with me. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. So once again, see you guys Wednesday. We have a, a awesome, awesome special guest. Actually, it's going to be a double feature. I'm going to dabble a little bit in the political realm, and uh, I'll give you guys a hint. I will have the first Mexican mayor of the city of tomorrow. I'll tell you guys tomorrow. Okay. And I will have also a rapper, an actor, producer, writer, along with their double feature Wednesday. So stay tuned. Once again, uh, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Johnny Boy, uh, DG, DG Media Clips, Big Daddy Swoles, David Rocha, formerly known as Serdino, and we're out. God bless. Have a blessed night. In the city, city of Wilmington, we keep it rocking. So come on, shake, shake it for me, Kelly.